Well, good morning, Grace. Uh, We're so excited to be here this morning. We're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, As many of you know, uh, we've been in this series with World Vision for the last couple of weeks. This is the third and final week. Uh, We celebrated the Matthew 25 Challenge last week and launched uh, the Chosen Challenge, and we'll explain that uh, in just a moment. We had over 100 families choose to be chosen. Uh, uh, for children in Kalapata, uh, Kenya. Uh, we, I just got back yesterday uh, from uh, Kalapata, and uh, we are going to see, in about 25 minutes after I get done talking, uh, you're going to see a video of what happened uh, in Kalapata uh, because of your willingness to be chosen. And in 25 minutes, you're going to see what God has done through you 8,000 miles on the other side of the globe, loving the least of these. In 25 minutes, can you give me 25 minutes? Can you stay focused for just 25 minutes uh, before you see what, uh, what you came to, uh, to see this morning? Turn to Micah, Micah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. Grab your phone, uh, your device, or grab your Bible. Uh, turn to Micah chapter 6. Uh, some of you, many of you have already uh, commented to us about the photos on Facebook. We tried to keep you uh, updated on what was happening. Uh, some of you have already gotten your digital reveal of your child. That's exciting. Friends, Ephesians 3.20 says God has done far more than we could ask or imagine. And that's the kind of impact uh, that this church is having on Kalapata. Uh, where there is, uh, at this point, there is no clean water. There is, in, there is insufficient um, education and health care. Uh, there's not enough teachers uh, for the schools, for children. There are not enough pastors in the churches that tend to the spiritual needs of this, uh, of this area. And so this is, we're at the, we're at the ground level, and it all starts uh, with clean water through child sponsorship. So uh, World Vision has been in Kalapata for about a year, building relationships and trust in those relationships in this community. And the chosen party uh, that you guys were a part of on Wednesday went a long way uh, to build that kind of foundation of trust uh, in that community. So on Wednesday, we did celebrate the chosen party in Kalapata. Every child that was sponsored uh, is, is helping to achieve uh, the goal of clean water and health care and church and relationships with Jesus, the gospel. On Thursday, uh, we visited a town called Canal Doan. Now, here's the thing. In Kalapata, they're just starting. In, in, in Canal Doan, they're, they're just about finished. Uh, on average, it takes about five years uh, to do all that World Vision does in, in all of these communities. So we, uh, I had the privilege of experience both ends uh, of the process, where it's just starting out and where it's uh, coming to a conclusion. And so in Canal Dawn, this is what we got to see. I, I, I brought home a few pictures. Uh, here's, uh, here's the well uh, that has been built. Uh, this is about two or three years old now. Uh, it is pumping thousands of clean water thousands of gallons of clean water uh, into the community and out to a couple of pumping stations for uh, people who do not live in Caldone. So instead of walking four, five, six miles to get clean water, now they, they can go to these pumping stations. Some people actually have faucets uh, in their yards, so now they can, they can uh, plant their own gardens, water their own livestock, and that sort of thing. So this is, this is incredible. Here's a picture of the school in Canal Doan. Uh, this is one of two buildings. So there's two buildings like that and two trees. Okay. Five, over 500 students. So you, as you can tell, not all of them fit. <laughs> uh, they have classes under those trees. But what's incredible about this is that they now have, there's a, there's a water tank next to this school 
so kids can actually go to school and they can have lunch and they can do what they need to do because they have, they have water at that school. Here's a picture of uh, the clinic. This is the waiting bay uh, for people who come to get health care. Uh, this is the picture of the birthing room. Uh, women now, instead of having uh, the, the child birthing rate has gone up because of the tech. Now, now uh, you see the equipment there in the room. Uh, they have it, but they can't use it at this point because there's no electricity. Okay, so that's coming. Okay, so their World Vision is not quite done uh, in, in Canal Dome. Um, but this is what's happening, and this is what we can see happening in Kalapata in the next five years. And again, all because of our participation in this. There's so, there's so many stories to tell you about uh, this, this community. The population has, has more than tripled because of clean water. Uh, people know that they have access uh, to water in this community. And so they, they've moved to this community so that they can support and provide and protect their families. And then this just gives us more, the church has just more opportunities to reach out and, and connect uh, to these people who are coming uh, to this community. So anyway, you'll get to see uh, the video in now, I, I think, about 20 minutes. So, okay, do the, do the countdown. But here's, here's what Micah has to say. Micah is called uh, one of the minor prophets but what he has to say is anything but minor. Uh, here's, here's Micah 6.8. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. How many of you remember the show Dirty Jobs? Mike Rowe. You know, the jobs nobody wanted to do. Uh, friends, that's the Old Testament prophet. Nobody grew up telling their moms, hey, I want to be a prophet. Nobody, nobody. That's why prophets were called to be prophets, because nobody volunteered to be a prophet. Um, that's the job nobody wanted, because nobody liked what the prophet had to do. For instance, the job of a prophet was to confront problems and speak truth to power. And who likes to be told the truth when they're part of the problem? Okay, so prophets were ignored at best and persecuted at worst, and much of what the prophets had to say uh, was addressing the inequality and the inequity and the mistreatment of what Jesus called the least of these in Matthew 25. And the message was, you cannot be a God follower and ignore the least of these. You cannot claim to believe God and just bypass the widow and the orphan and the oppressed and the poor. So here's the deal. Uh, I don't speak to this often, but every time I do speak on issues of justice and generosity, uh, I will share, you know, statistics to help us to put, to put this issue in perspective from, you know, an American point of view, uh, the billions of people without clean water and proper sanitation, thus, you know, the difficulty in healthcare, two and a half million women and children in bondage to human trafficking and slavery, 37,000 people every day displaced uh, from their homes due to violence and conflict and persecution every day. 37,000 people. That's like the city of Valparaiso. The city of Valparaiso grabbing whatever they can carry and fleeing to who knows where and wondering how they're going to provide for and protect their families. The whole city of Valparaiso every single day. 
Now, you and I, we don't encounter that sort of thing. Uh, we're not involved in that sort of thing, and we really don't like talking about that sort of thing. We don't like seeing the pictures of that sort of thing. And let's be honest, we are so accustomed to the news stories that we sometimes grow numb and unresponsive to those stories. Like, you know, like the faucet that keeps dripping, and you just, instead of fixing it, you just learn to live with it. And so many, many of the times, that's, that's our approach. But the prophets couldn't live with it. That was the burden that God gave them on their hearts to see the world as God saw it and to open the eyes of those, uh, not the unbelievers who have no reason to care, but the believers who shouldn't have to be shocked or pressed into a response to this. And so Micah, you know, is talking to the people and they say, well, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do? Where, do? where do I start with this? And Micah says, you know, why, don't, why don't we just start with ourselves? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, look at, look at how Micah leads up to verse 8 in this passage. He's encountering the same logic that we sometimes have. He says, what, the people are saying to him, what shall I come before, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? I mean, seriously, I can't adopt every orphan. I can't feed every starving child. I can't free every sex slave. What do you, what do you want me to do about this? Where do I start? And, and then I want you to notice the prog- progression that they propose. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Do you notice the escalation in this? A year old calf have no idea what that costs in today's terms. Uh, but, you know, most of us could probably do that if that was what was required of us. 10,000 rams. Anybody own 10,000 rams? You know? So, yeah, you're, we're narrowing the field there. And then uh, my firstborn, seriously? Is that what God wants? And Micah says, no. I mean, you're, you're missing the point is what Micah is saying. There are, there are over 2,000 verses revealing God's priority for the poor, his heart for the poor. And here's the point. Although there's no substitute for the worship of God, now get this, this is, this is important to understand. There is, no, there is no substitute for the worship of God. God is first in your life. He, he wants to be first in your life. But, friends, you cannot substitute the worship of God for the obedience God calls you to. In other words, Micah is saying these, these sacrifices, these religious activities, they're fine in the worship of God. But if that's all you're doing, if you think that that's going to, be, to get you out of what God is calling you to do and to be, uh, there's no substitute for the worship of God, but you cannot substitute the worship of God for the obedience of God. The summary of the law was to love God and to love your neighbor. They cannot be separated. Now, here's the deal. You can love your neighbor without loving God, and many people do. They're good, but they give no thought to God. But friends, you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. It's evidence that you love God. And this message is all through, all through the prophets, all through Scripture. 1 Samuel 15, obedience is better than sacrifice. Proverbs 21, righteousness and justice is better than sacrifice. Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart is better than sacrifice. Mark 12, Love is better than sacrifice. Matthew 9, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What, what God is saying, it, it, is he's saying that, you know, our, our offerings, our sacrifices, our religious activity, our prayer and our worship means nothing? He's not saying that at all. He's just saying that we can't substitute. In fact, our worship is what undergirds our obedience to God. So God followers... What do we do as God followers? What we do is not nearly as important as what we are because what we are 
is the foundation of what we do. And that's what Micah 6, 8 is all about. When it comes to the issues of justice, it's not what we do. It's who we are. Let's talk about that for a moment. When we think about justice, we generally think in terms of righting a wrong. Uh, Psalm 146 says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. He watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. So in those verses, if you look at that, you find both uh, the victim of intentional wrong, people who have been mean to other people, but you also find in that verse victims of circumstances beyond anyone's control. No one's particularly at fault. If someone does something wrong to a person, then that victim uh, deserves justice. And there are people who do that. They do wrong to people. You've been wronged. You've done wrong. And when any wrong has been committed, punishment and restitution, justice is required. But what if there's no wrongdoer? I mean, you can't stop, you, you can't avoid a famine. You can't make it rain which is exactly where I came from this week. I was, I, was, I was in a place where it hadn't rained for years. And that community is devastated. Uh, there's, no, there's no control about that. You know, you're an orphan or a widow. You can't, you can't control that. You, you've been placed in this life situation. It's no one's fault. So justice in the Bible is not just for the victim of a crime. It's for the victim of a broken world. Uh, someone who threw no fault of their own, as Matthew 25 enumerated, you know, the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the oppressed, the sick, you know, those who have fallen victim to the harshness of a broken world, God is calling us to justice, to do what is right on their behalf, to right the wrongs of a broken world. Why? Because God is just. That, that is who God is. That's not just what he does. God is a just God and those who have been justified by God are called to seek justice on behalf of God for those who deserve justice. My, and, and, and Micah 6 8 is one of the best verses that illustrate what it looks like for a follower of God to reflect the character of God. So I'm going to put it back up on the screen and I want all of us to read this verse out loud together, okay? Here we go. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? What is good? What does it mean to be good? Are you a good person? We're not talking in terms of salvation. We're talking in terms of character because behavior flows out of character. You do what you are. Uh, for instance, generosity. We think of generosity. Most of us think that we're generous people. Many of us, though, just give when we are prompted, give when we are guilted, we give when we are inspired, we give when there's some benefit to us, and that kind of generosity is temporary and it's spontaneous. But when you are truly a generous person, when that's who you are, you give without pressure or manipulation. You give just because you are generous because that's who you are. And so Micah is answering the question, what is good? Are you a good person? Well, it's not necessarily because of what you do. It's because of who you are. But what you do gives evidence to who you are. Does that make sense? So what does, what does God consider goodness? He gives us three things in this verse. Here's the first one. You just do what is right. Do what is just. To do good, to be good, is to be just and to do justice, to pursue what is just. Not, not for yourself, but for those who cannot pursue justice 
for themselves. Proverbs 82 says, defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Justice is to do what is right with and for others. Justice is fairness. It is equity. To be just is to treat people uh, without favoritism or discrimination. Uh, think for a moment how you feel. Um, I don't know, have you ever been treated unfairly? All of us have. And we've treated people unfairly. We know what it's like to be treated unfairly. Is there any, any claim more commonly heard uh, from a sibling to a parent? That's not... And so we know what it's like. We don't like it when we're mistreated, uh, taken advantage of, or when we're the victim of someone's wrongdoing. And Micah is telling us, he's telling us to be as fired up as much about the mistreatment of others as we are about our own mistreatment. We know what it feels like to be mistreated or to be the victims of injustice. Micah is asking us, do we care about those who are mistreated as much as we care about the mistreatment that we experience. In particular, to care about those that are overlooked, those that we seldom cross paths with, those that don't run in our circles or live in our neighborhoods, to care about what is right, not just for me, but for you. In very practical terms, uh, students from bullying on the playground uh, to adults from gossip in the neighborhood to racial jokes in the break room, to speak up for what is right, to act, to do what is right, to act justly. That's the first one. Here's the second one, uh, to love mercy, to care, to care for the least, to care for the least. Micah says to lo- to mercy leans in. It moves toward an act of compassion, not standing back. But when you have the opportunity and resources to get involved in the lives of those in need, regardless of the cost to you, or how messy the situation gets, despite the discomfort or the inconvenience, to love the least of these. Uh, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, I say to you, as you did it to the one, of, one of the least of these, my brothers, he makes it personal and relational. Elsewhere, he said to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, friends, I, the problem many times in this neighbor thing is not in the loving, but in the neighbor. Jesus tells a story. There, there's a story in the Gospels about a, a, a man who came to Jesus seeking to justify his goodness. I, wa- I want to make sure that I'm good. And Jesus said, you want to be good? Love your neighbor. Well, that didn't help. The guy wanted to know who his neighbor was. And Jesus said to him, that's not the question. Friends, the question is not who are you my neighbor. The question is, am I your neighbor? The issue, the issue isn't you. The issue is, is me. What kind of person am I? Who am I? And this guy doesn't get it. And so Jesus tells a story. He's really good at stories. And so he tells a story about a Jew uh, who was minding his own business, going his own way. He's beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Two separate good guys um, refuse to get involved. Uh, but a Samaritan is the one who responds with kindness. Now, everyone in that context, uh, in that historical context, knew that Jews and, and Samaritans didn't get along. They were, they were uh, enemies of one another. And so this wasn't just an interesting story. This was an offensive story to the Jew that Jesus was telling this story to. Jesus made it a point to make a Samaritan the hero of this story about a Jew that he was telling a Jew too. You know, so uh, at the end of this, this story, he poses this question. Which of these three, 
the two good guys and the Samaritan, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus said, you be the neighbor. You want to be good? Be the neighbor. It doesn't matter who they are. What matters is who you are. Who, who are you? Are you a mercy lover? Are you, regardless of cost, personal price to you, how messy it is? Are you willing to move in, to lean in to the needs of others? When it comes to the least of these, regardless of race or class or religion or gender or age or politics, can you overlook all those social categories and do for them what, what you would want done for you or to do for them what they cannot do for themselves? Are you willing to do what's right on their behalf and to just simply care for them, to love them? Here's the third thing, to live in gratitude and joy. To live in gratitude and joy. Um, Micah says it this way, to walk humbly with your God. What does it mean to walk humbly with your God? It's to live not with a sense of entitlement, but with a sense of gratitude and joy. Not to live with this idea that you can somehow earn your way into God's favor, but to realize that, God, that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, that there's no way you could earn it. There's no way that you deserve it. Friends, there's, there's nothing that will sustain your pursuit of justice more than the gratitude and joy generated by your own justification. I want to say that again. There, there's nothing that will sustain your pursuit of justice more than the gratitude and joy generated by your own justification. What do I mean by that? Friends, the Bible is very clear. Romans 5, Colossians 1, Ephesians 2, you were enemies of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You lived in rebellion against the God who created you. And so you were adamantly opposed to his rule and reign in your life. You went your own way. And yet it was your enemy, it was your enemy who came to this earth and moved by your hopeless state, leaned into your need and did what was just and, and met your particular need. Friends, you cannot separate justice from your justification. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. And when you do for others what they cannot do for themselves, it shows that you understand this, that you actually embrace, you are moved by the gospel. It, it shows that you, 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 you get it. Now, here, here's the thing. What is ultimately and eternally important is that every human being have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that they are justified before God by the sacrifice of Jesus. That is the goal of the gospel, that no one perish, but all come to repentance. But here's the deal, friends, when it comes to the least of these. It is very hard to hear when you are hungry. It is very challenging to believe that God loves you when the basic needs of your life to thrive in life are not being met, it's very difficult when you are, are victimized by the broken world to understand that God has a plan for your life that is good and full of hope. And here's the deal, friends. Nobody understood that better than Jesus. Jesus addressed the physical needs of people to draw special attention to the spiritual needs of people. He said this in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The message of the gospel, friends, is that you are far, you are far worse than you care to admit. But you are far more loved than you could possibly imagine. And so therefore, again, friends, the gospel properly understood produces both a deep humility 
and an infectious joy and gratitude that moves you to meet the needs of those around you. When you understand this, friends, how, how do you know that you understand and get the gospel? Well, first of all, you never forget from where you came. You will never forget that you were once blind, but now you see. You were once lost, but now found. But more than that, in addition to that, friends, you will never look at the least of these without remembering spiritually you were the least of these. That Jesus clothed you with his righteousness and healed you from your brokenness. That the sins you committed were put on Jesus and the righteousness that Jesus had was put on you. This was the message of the prophets. What, what does this have to do with justice? It has everything to do with justice. This is the message of Micah. If you're not compassionate toward the vulnerable, the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and the poor, the least of these, if you don't intentionally and practically lean into the lives of the least of these, do you, re do you really understand the heart of God? But when you do with gratitude and joy, when you walk humbly with your God, you will seek ways to live out in practical ways the demonstration of the gospel in your life. So this is just one of the practical ways that we can do this. Last week, many of you uh, chose uh, to be chosen. You accepted the chosen challenge. Uh, and you, you saw that set up in the, in the commons area this morning. You can, after the service, uh, go get your envelope with your name on it and find uh, the child that chose you and the letter uh, that they wrote to you on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, if you didn't do that last Sunday, you can still get in on that uh, this Sunday. We have the photo booth set up. You can get your picture taken. Uh, we can send that picture to Kalapata. Uh, and uh, they, someone will choose you. Uh, they will write a letter to you. And uh, they will become a part of your family. And you will become a part of theirs. Uh, and so there's uh, what you need to do. I'll put this on the slide too. Uh, before you get to the photo booth, you've got to text GRACE. Uh, to that number, 56170. You've got, uh, there are some things that you've got to uh, check off the list before you can get your picture taken. But you can do that today. So this is the last day that you have that particular opportunity. And here's the final challenge. Every week we've given a challenge. Here's the final piece of the puzzle, and the challenge isn't necessarily yours. Every year, World Vision offers the, the Climb Killy Challenge. Kilimanjaro is the highest mountain in Africa at 19,341 feet. 19,341 feet. Uh, this old guy has accepted the challenge to climb Kilimanjaro on behalf of clean water and child sponsorship. In February, uh, I will be traveling back to Kenya and then across into Tanzania, and every step I take will be taken on behalf of children without clean water and sufficient food, clothing, and shelter, education, and a relationship with Jesus. But I need your help. I need you to be chosen. And friends, the bottom line is you need to be chosen. Uh, many of you need this opportunity to live out Micah 6, 8 uh, in your life. And so I can't do this without your help. Um, if you haven't been chosen, I encourage you to do that today or pray about it, consider it, um, uh, to live out the gospel in loving the least of these that's what this last three weeks have been all about. So you ready to watch a video? Okay. Finally, yes, absolutely. Direct your attention to the screens and see what happened this past Wednesday.
awesome? Do you want to give God a hand for what he did in the life of this church? The journey's just beginning. Uh, This is going to happen for the next at least five uh, years, developing a relationship with this community and and giving them the basic necessities of life to thrive and opening the door of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you are part of that. I couldn't be more proud uh, to be a part of this chosen party representing you all uh, in watching these children choose you. So let's pray about that. Would you uh, pray with me, Father? We are so grateful. We are so humbled uh, to be privileged uh, to be chosen. And so, Father, in the years ahead, as we see uh, our participation uh, contribute uh, to the thriving of their lives, we pray that you continue to guide this process and that you open doors for the gospel in the lives of these children and their parents and the communities, the villages that they live in. And Father, may we never lose sight of the calling on our lives to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who we call least, but are certainly not least in your eyes. Father, thank you. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.